What is church? Is it a building? With some pews? A piano? And stained glass? Or is it something more? 2,000 years ago, the church was born. It wasn't made up of the famous, the rich, or the powerful. It was made up of everyday people who passionately believed in the message of Jesus. It was the beginning of a revolution of love and freedom that would change the world forever. The ripple of Jesus' impact can be clearly seen and felt in the church today. And it's made up of people like me and you. Today, you didn't just come to a building. You came to a revolution 2,000 years in the making. The world is facing as much trouble as ever. But we are not afraid. We were created for such a time as this. We will continue to do what we've always done. Proclaim the message of Jesus to help a world that needs him so desperately. Welcome. 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 Welcome to church. Here today on Labor Day weekend, you must want to be in church. Good news. Welcome to our series titled Photograph. For six weeks, we've been looking at the same photograph in the book of Acts. Uh, No, not this picture of these people, but God took a picture of his church 2,000 years ago. He put it in the book of Acts, chapter 2. We've been looking at that uh, for all these weeks and learning a little bit more about what the church is supposed to be because we are the same church. It's the same Jesus, the same church. He's building his church for all of these years. Before I get going too far, I want to say a big hi to Kim and Kevin, the people up in Bath and Life Church Midcoast. It's just great to be with you all, and we love you. So with that, we're going to pull out this photo and look at it. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship. Now, again, this is the description. We're calling it a photograph of these people. This is what they were dedicated to, to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. So they were getting together on a very regular basis for all these things. Um, They obviously enjoyed being together. Now, you've heard us talking about September 19th begins our 21 days of prayer and encouraging you. Then that following Monday... Monday morning at 6 o'clock. Everybody say 6 o'clock. I know that for some of you, the resurrection of Lazarus would be a minor miracle compared to what it would take to get you out here at 6 o'clock. But God is still raising the dead, all right? So try to get out here. If you, if you can't make it out, we're going to be live streaming it. So if you want to be a lazy butt, you can sit home and... Did I say lazy butt in church? I'm sorry. But hopefully you'll join us because, again, they pray together. We need to be praying together. And I've tracked this in my own life as I'm... As my prayer activity increases, and especially joining with God's people, I watch the activity of God increase in my life. So join us, all right? And let's finish reading what they did. Verse 43, a deep sense of awe came over them all. We're going to discover as we continue in the book of Acts today that the reason they were in awe is because they were keenly aware that this was the activity of God. It was perfectly clear to them, even the leaders, that they weren't leading this. God was leading it. They were responding to him. And that just gave him a sense of awe. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers gathered together in one place and shared everything they had. Isn't that a good-looking photo? Isn't that a great-looking family? Well, I call this the Facebook photo of the church in the book of Acts. By the way, all the pictures we put up on Facebook, they are real, right? We don't Photoshop them. They are real. But we have an interesting way of putting our best foot forward. As we continue in the chapters in the book of Acts, we're going to see a few other photos that maybe aren't quite as glamorous as this one. And as we look through these photographs, we're going to see that they did three things. Number one, they knew God was in charge. Uh, we, you already see that, but we're going to look at these other, other chapters. And again, it's very clear to these people that they're not awesome, that God is awesome. And again, they're just responding to what God is doing. They played and they prayed together. 
They got together all the time. We're going to see two different times where individuals, leaders of the church, got released from prison and they immediately went to the people where the church was gathered rather than to their own home. They obviously felt pretty comfortable. This was their family in their mind. And uh, they played together, they prayed together. And number three, we're going to see that they are totally, brutally honest. And we're going to see that God didn't appreciate dishonesty in the leadership of his church very much at all. All right? Speaking of playing together and praying together, common knowledge that in Maine the summer is short. And I'm preaching to the choir here because you're all here even on Labor Day weekend. But we all, it's not a mystery that the numbers go down quite a bit in the summer and there's never any guilt. But September 26th, that weekend, Saturday and Sunday, the weekend of the 26th, is the National Back to Church Weekend. And I'm telling you because you know a lot of, you have a lot of friends that you know from Life Church. You look around, they're not here. Could you maybe help us by letting them know and, and invite them back on that weekend? It's just something to get back into the swing of getting back to church. So, because we want to pray together and play together. So, invite your friends back. So, with that, we're going to skip now to the next chapter. Again, we've seen Acts chapter 2, where, again, it's a great looking picture. We're going to pick up the story now in Acts chapter 3. And what has happened, I'm going to describe the story really quick where we pick it up. Uh, Peter and John were on their way to the temple. They prayed for a man and he was healed. God miraculously healed somebody. And a crowd gathers uh, in response because they all knew this individual. He'd been there for many years. They all knew him. They all knew he was lame and they're seeing him. They're astonished. And Peter is addressing this crowd. All right, so Peter saw his opportunity. Just stop right there. Look at, notice that line. That is a key throughout the entire book of Acts that Peter is keenly aware he's not creating opportunities. He's responding to doors that God is opening. And that's huge because if you think it's your job to make the kingdom grow, to you, we're building the kingdom on our backs. No, that's completely untrue. God is the one in charge, but he does open doors and he does ask us to respond to open doors and to respond to opportunities. And that's what they're doing. By the way, if there's a book in the Bible that has been misnamed, it is the Acts of the Apostles. By the way, you understand that name isn't inspired. We put that title on there many years later to give us a reference point. It's actually the Acts of God. And we're going to see they're keenly aware. These apostles were very clear that this isn't us. This is God. Peter sees his opportunity. He addresses the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this? They're so shocked to see this man healed. And why do you stare at us as though we had made this man walk by our own power or godliness? Now, it's interesting that Peter, you know, the chief leader of the church, is keenly aware that it's not his power. I mean, the people would have had that thought, and you've probably heard, preacher, I, I could tell you some stories that curl, would curl your hair. If you haven't heard these stories of preachers and men who just will tell you that they have the power of God. Well, interestingly enough, Peter didn't feel that way. He didn't think it was him. If you ask Peter, how many miracles have you performed, Peter? He would say zero. This is God. It's not our power. And interestingly enough, he said, it's not only is it not my power, it isn't even my godliness. It's not the fact Peter was pretty clear that he, he hadn't become so holy and so godly that he climbed the ladder, he rang the bell up in heaven, he woke God up, and God said, oh, these people have finally arrived at the pinnacle. I must now begin my activity in the earth. It's exactly the opposite. God's at work waking them up 
And Peter's pretty keenly aware of it. It's not our power. It's not our godliness. He goes on in verse 13, and he feeds this audience a good bowl of comfort food. Verse 13, it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You see, every one of these people had grown up believing in God, you know, the God who created everything, the God that everybody seems to know is out there. They, they knew that God. And Peter's telling them, by the way, yes, there is something new here. Jesus Christ has come. God has sent his son to take the, the punishment for our sin. There is something new, but it's actually the same. It's the same God who's doing all of this. It's the same God who's exalting the name of Jesus. But gang, the same God that you've known from birth, it's him. And you have to realize that to these people that he was talking to, this is music to their ears. They're like, oh, okay, well, we know that. We know him. That's what they're saying. It's the same God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all of our ancestors. This is the God of your mom and your dad. And they're like, oh, okay. So they're just kind of getting them on the same page. It's, it's the God we've always known who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. Peter's saying, gang, Yes, God is doing some amazing things, but he's doing it to exalt Jesus. He's not doing it to verify our authority. He's doing it to exalt Jesus. The same thing he's doing in all over the world. And Peter is clear. He is telling the people, yes, God is using us. But Peter goes on in this message to these people, and we're going to read it in just a second. He goes on to say that God is so amazing. He's so powerful. He's so involved that not only is he using us, He's even using you. Talking to the people, he's, he's saying, you know, gang, remember a few weeks ago, you were the same ones that were hollering out, hollering out crucify him? Because it was only weeks before this that Christ had been crucified. And Peter said, you, meant, you know, a few, few weeks ago, you had Christ crucified. Well, actually, gang, God isn't just using us. He's so awesome. He's so involved. He's even using you. We skip a few verses and we go on with this message. Friends, he said, I realize that what you and your leaders did to Jesus was done in ignorance, but, everybody say but, God was actually doing something. God was involved. God was fulfilling what he had. He's very clearly telling them that God used their ignorance, that God used their activity. Now, this is important for you to see because throughout the book of Acts, you see this again and again and again repeated, that same thought that these leaders clearly understood that God was doing things way beyond their prayer life. Things, not only had they never asked God to do these things, they would have never dreamed these things. When they saw Jesus Christ crucified, not one of them had any faith in a resurrection that never crossed their mind. Not one of them had that faith. The Bible is very clear about that. So they thought they had just seen the end, the worst thing that ever happened. And when God turned the worst thing that ever happened a few days later into the best thing, it did something in their heart. It did something in their mind. And they were like, God is awesome. He's bigger than I can comprehend. And now they're telling these very people that, gang, God's even using you. And we're going to see throughout the book of Acts, they're pretty convinced that God's going to end up using you whether or not you decide to serve him. He's going to end up building his kingdom, but it's just a good idea to get on his side. Let's, let's, let's get on his side. Let's actually actively work with him to build his kingdom in the earth. God was fulfilling what the prophets had foretold about the Messiah, all right? So we're going to go on from here. We skip to, we're going to go to the next chapter, look at a photograph from the fourth chapter, all right? Let me set up the story. 
as a result of Peter's message, you know, all the people in the temple are listening to Peter. The leaders of the temple do what they always did. Every good preacher in the Bible has to get thrown in jail a couple times. If only I could get thrown in jail. Just, just one time, God. Just give me a story to tell, all right? So Peter gets thrown in jail, and we'll pick up the story when he gets, well, actually, it's just Peter and John. They get released, and interestingly enough, instead of going home to their wives, now, it's entirely possible their wives were gathered with the church for prayer, but nonetheless, they go to where the church is gathered. The church had a regular habit of gathering in homes, getting together in people's homes, and they went to one of those homes. The Bible says in verse 23, I didn't put it on the screen, but verse 23 says, as soon as they were freed, they returned to their own people. What an interesting phrase. They referred to the church as their, do you feel that way? Do you feel like around you is your own people? Are these your peeps? Are they? You should. I hope you'll stick around long enough, if you will, and you'll get involved because it's interesting Interesting that it's amongst a people who felt that connected to each other. Sometimes we wonder, you know, why aren't we seeing God do some of these amazing things we saw? Well, it's interesting that it's amongst a people who were giving their all and were that connected that God was showing. They were all in and God was all in. And I think the same thing will happen in our lives. So we're gonna pick up chapter four. Peter's been released and the Bible records their prayer. So they're getting together for a prayer meeting and Peter again, John have, list, have joined them and here's their prayer, the record of their prayer. Oh, sovereign Lord. Now just stop right there really quick. It's, it's important to note who they're praying to. In their mind, who are they praying to? Well, they, they add an interesting word, this word that's translated in English, sovereign, that's added to the word Lord in our vernacular to help us understand that there's something interesting happening in the Greek language. In the Greek language, and I put the word at the bottom, uh, the word they're praying, the Greek word is despotes. Uh, take off the ES, and has anybody ever seen, that word has made it into the English language, despot. You ever heard the word despot? It's made it into, probably the last human being that we heard of that was referred to as a despot was Saddam Hussein. A despot is somebody who rules by their own will. They're not governed by laws. And why it's always referred to as somebody evil in when it's used humanly speaking is because absolute authority corrupts absolutely when it comes to human beings. But God is, has no evil in him. And again, they're praying to a God who is so, who's so involved, who's so engaged in the affairs of the earth, who is so running things that they're referring to him as a despot. They're referring to him as one who was, who was ruling with absolute authority, doing things that beyond their comprehension, that's who they're praying to. By the way, when you pray, who are you praying to? Are you praying to a God who's kind of fallen asleep? Or if he is awake, he's off in a corner knitting somewhere. And you need to wake him up. You need to wake him up because obviously he's unaware of what the trouble in your life He's obviously unaware of what's going on. And if you can just wake him up, scream, shout, run around, do something, ring that bell, wake him up, he might, oh, he just might get involved in your life. Well, they had quite a different picture of who they're praying to. Sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, you spoke long ago. We don't have space to put everything in there. So they actually quote some Old Testament scripture 
which hopefully you'll come out with us to prayer. You're going to learn that one of the best things you can do in prayer is take God's word and bring it back to him. And that's exactly what they did. They quoted some scripture. And then they go on to say in verse 27 that God, these verses of scripture, you're actually fulfilling them in front of our very eyes. You actually did it right here in front of our eyes. In fact, they said this happened here in this very city. For Herod, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, the people of Israel, they were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. So seemingly the whole world, this is their prayer, seemingly the whole world was united against Jesus, and it seemed like they prevailed. They wanted Jesus dead. We wanted him alive. It seemed to us like they won, like they had their way. It seemed like their will prevailed. That's what it seemed like, God, but... Everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. This is their prayer. They're not preaching a sermon. Now they're, they're praying to God. Why would they say these things? I mean, this was obviously information that God knew. Okay, so they're not warming God up. What are they doing? They're beginning prayer like we all should. They began prayer by magnifying God. They're, they're expanding their own heart and their own mind. They're saying, God, you are awesome. In our modern vernacular, we might say, whoo, you are a freak. You, whoo, you, you're doing things a lot bigger than I could, I wouldn't have even thought of asking that, God, but you are going far beyond what I could ask or imagine, and you're using even the, the violent activity of human beings, you're using it to build your kingdom. Those people who wanted Jesus crucified weren't thinking, hmm, I wonder how I can advance the kingdom of God. Now, they weren't thinking that, but that's, this is their prayer. They're saying, God, even that, even what we thought was the worst, you turned out to be the best. And now here we finally get to their first and only request in their prayer. And now, Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, everybody say great boldness. That was like six of you. Say great boldness. What they're praying for Here's where they're praying. They're saying, God, you're getting it done. You're you're going to build the kingdom. And when this whole thing wraps up, we're going to find out that you got it done. Here's Here's what they're praying. God, don't let me find out when it's all said and done that I just sat on a bench. I sat in a corner. You're not sitting in a corner, God. You're out there. You're building. You're getting it done. You're using people's activity who aren't even trying to help you. You're getting it done. God, give me enough boldness to recognize your activity and be a witness. Do you know what a witness? We've heard that all of our Christian life. You want to be a witness. What is a witness? Anywhere other than church, what does the word witness mean? You go on the witness stand, and all a witness does is tell what they saw. And that's all a witness ever is supposed to be. Don't make it harder than it is, but it takes some boldness. Because every one of us, even after God has revealed himself to you, even after Jesus Christ has reached into your life and turned you around, it takes some boldness. Our natural propensity is just to keep that to ourselves, keep off in a corner, and just kind of let the world fall apart. Let our own family and friends, we see them going down dark roads and just kind of, oh, well, just, we'll just pray for them, Jesus. They're praying for boldness to get involved. They're saying, God, you're involved. We want to be involved. Don't let us. God, give us boldness to get out of our corner and to get involved. So there's, there's the picture that we see in Acts chapter 4. That chapter four ends uh, with an interesting story of Barnabas, who was one of the chief leaders in the church. Barnabas actually became the guy who 
took Saul by the hand, Saul who became Paul. After Paul was saved, Barnabas was the one who took him by the hand and really led Paul. Barnabas is quite honestly the most responsible. Paul, who became the chief leader in the whole New Testament, Barnabas is, Barnabas is the one most responsible for leading him. All right, well, Barnabas, at the end of chapter four, sells a piece of property, brings all the money, and somehow this was done publicly in such a way. I don't think that was his intention, but somehow it gained some public notoriety. And again, he was, it wasn't like he was buying his way into leadership. He was a leader. But again, somehow this happened in such a way that it, it, was, it seemed cool. And a couple in the church named Ananias and Sapphira recognized this. And obviously their heart wasn't right. Now let's be perfectly clear. There was a lot of sin going on as there always is. I mean, just a few chapters before this, Peter had denied even knowing Jesus Christ and God completely forgave him and put him back into the lead position in the church. So obviously, God isn't saying, you know, one sin, you're out. But what Ananias and Sapphira did was something quite different than just a sin. They actually were, Ananias, the story goes, that he went and sold a piece of property and brought part of the money and told the story, put on airs that he was giving it all. And what he was endeavoring to do was he thought that I'm going to buy my way into a leadership position. I'm going to do something publicly. People are going to look at us and we are going to become leaders of this amazing thing, this thing that they, I think they just kind of saw it from more the physical end than the spiritual end. And they just had this wrong impression that through, through lies, they could obtain a position in the church. Well, chapter five, this story, honestly, if I were writing the Bible, it's a story I would have left out because it kind of pegs your weird meter when you read it. And it's actually one of the reasons, it is true, it's one of the reasons why we know the Bible is true because nobody would make this stuff up. If you're making up stories, you put up Facebook photo after Facebook photo. You don't show these pictures. And here we pick up the story Ananias has brought his gift. Peter knows what's going on. He's confronting Ananias about his lie. And here we pick it up. Peter says to Ananias, you weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. I think I'd have just left that out of my Bible if I were writing it. Just, I mean, is this a real evangelistic verse? How attractive is this? Yeah, come to church, man. Just tell a little lie, whap. Can you imagine if that's happening today? You come to church, you're like, what happened to Pam? <laughs> I don't know. We were at her birthday party. She said something about how good it was to be 29, and bang, she's gone. <laughs> this is wild. <laughs> Again, you get the point. This wasn't just a lie. This wasn't somebody saying they were 29. This was somebody endeavoring to purchase their way into leadership of the church. And this is the despot, God who is ruling and God who is building. This is the one thing God said he's building in the earth is his church. And he pretty aggressively in the beginning stages of this is making a point. This is going to be led with utter honesty and reality. We are never going to put on airs. We're not going to fake anything. And by the way, has the temptation to fake it still exist in the church today? Oh my goodness. I have heard so many preachers and so many stories talk about their awesomeness and how their power and what they have and story after story. Gang, we just need to be real. Just be honest. 
in, in your notes, I, I think I asked you to pull these out. In your, uh, in your bulletin are some notes and some things that I would ask you to write down. The first three I already gave you. Would you pull this out of your bulletin, some sermon notes, and, and write these things down. The first three I already gave you, they knew God was in charge. They played and they prayed together. They're totally honest. But the last thing is this, and I would ask you to write this down. It's not our job to produce excitement. Write that down. It's not our job to produce excitement. That is not our goal. Now, let's be clear. I mean, we're going to do everything we can as excellently as we can, okay? But ultimately, you know, I as the leader of this church, that is not my thought. How can we pump it up to the peak of excitement? And No, no, no. It's not our job to create excitement. What we're shooting for is reality. Reality. And then the last line is this. Reality creates excitement. Here's been my experience for all these years. If I'll just show up and just be real, just tell the truth, don't expand it, don't exaggerate it. And then I prayed and... And uh, anyways, <laughs> don't exaggerate it. Just tell it like it happened. And here's my discovery. If I'll just show up, whether it's at a life group, getting together with God's people, or just one-on-one, if I'll just be real and honest, God shows up, and I've never left an occasion just having an open, honest conversation with somebody you know, in the church that I didn't leave encouraged that God didn't show up and plant something in our hearts that wasn't there before we got together. And if we'll just be real, that creates excitement. It just does. And that's what we're shooting for. All right. So we're going to pick up from here, uh, jump to chapter 6. All right. This ends with the great fear gripped the entire church. Yeah, do you think? (laughs) Once again, not a photo that I would put if I were writing the Bible, but thank God I'm not writing it. All right, chapter six, uh, we're going to look at a photo in chapter six that, and for completely sinful, selfish reasons, is my favorite photo in the book of Acts. Maybe you'll understand it in just a minute, but it just gives me comfort. I'm just like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Chapter six, as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. Say those words, say rumblings of discontent. Now, why that sinfully, selfishly satisfying to me? Because I thought it was just life, church. Oh, I thought it was just us. But no, the church 2,000 years ago. I mean, the, the, the home run hitters. Peter's still up at the plate. And there's rumblings of discontent. Do you know what you want to look for? If you want to look for rumblings of discontent, do you know what you want to look for? A group of people. Because if you find a group of people and you stick around long enough, rumblings of discontent, it's human nature. Now, it is our job as a church, both individually in our own hearts and own lives. Hopefully you feel this way. It is your own job to police your own soul and to shoo away rumblings of discontent. That's your job personally in your own life. Who knows? That'll keep you pretty, pretty busy. <laughs> Just in your own life, that can keep you busy. But as a church, it is our job. They went and they addressed the discontent as best they could. And that is our job. But again, why does the Bible put such photos in there? Because God knew pretty well, I think, that hundreds and thousands of years later, people and pastors would be tempted to think, oh, you know, they were perfect. They were awesome. It's just us. When the fact is they were completely real, just like us. So from here, from chapter 6, we're going to skip ahead, just for sake of time, to chapter 12. 
we're skipping, to, we're skipping forward 15 years. When you read the book of Acts, sometimes you, know, you kind of pack it all together like it happened in a week. There's a lot of years covered here. 15 years later, we pick up the story. Now, let's just help you understand. A lot has happened in these 15 years. You know, first of all, a few public leaders, the church, I mean, just like every church, had some faces that were more public leaders, okay? Uh, Stephen was a very public leader in the church, and he had been martyred. He had been killed, all right? Well, let's start with Jesus. I mean, their, their king, right? They watched him be crucified, and that ended up turning out pretty good. He was resurrected, and, and that was really came, became the unifying point, right? That, so the, the, the worst thing turned out to be the best. Well, on the heels of that, then Stephen was killed, which, again, you know, devastated them. But on the heels of that, the church mushroomed. It grew. Something about it. It just, it just increased the boldness amongst the people as, as opposed to discouraging them. It had quite the opposite effect, and, and they got bolder, and, and the church expanded. Well, after that, not so many years later, a man by the name of Saul kind of got insane and irate with the church. And the Bible says he went around, and some, he actually had some people killed. And his persecution, it wasn't just him, but he had many you know, Jewish people with him. Their persecution of the church grew so, grew so intense that thousands upon thousands of people had to leave Jerusalem. Now, can you imagine if you had to leave your home? Just leave it. I mean, you didn't have time to sell it. No, no time for any of that. You just had to leave and run for your life. Thousands of them, that had happened, all right? Now, obviously, in their mind, just the same as us, they're just like us. If something that traumatic happened, and literally at gunpoint, you had to run from your home, you would swear this is the worst thing that's ever happened. But what happened as a result of that? on the heels of that. And this, this would have been many years before by the, time after, uh, by the time Acts chapter 12 happened. But they're looking back saying, you know that time that we were dispersed or many of us were dispersed? Interestingly enough, those people were dispersed and they went all over the Roman world and now hundreds of churches exist all around the Roman world that didn't exist before that moment. Interestingly enough, by this time, 15 years later, the church in Jerusalem was no longer the largest or the most influential church in the world. A church in Antioch, hundreds and hundreds of miles away, Gentile, a Gentile area, had grown so large, Paul ended up going there, and that was his, the post from which he went out on his missionary journeys. And that church in Antioch became not only the largest, but by far the most influential. They were the ones sending out missionary teams around the world, far more than the Jerusalem church. So 15 years later, they realized this. They know it. Gang, we're not, even in, we're not even in the lead seat anymore. And what do they realize? All this was the result of things happening that we would have never prayed for, never expected, never hoped for, but God has taken all of these things that we thought were awful and did something that we never expected. So again, throughout, they're, they're continuing in their prayers to pray to that despot, that one who is leading with authority, who's ruling with a long arm and doing things bigger than they could have comprehended. And we're going to pick up this story. Peter, again, is in prison, all right? 15 years later, back in prison. The more things change, the more they stay the same, right? 15 years later, he's back in prison. Uh, Just the week before, the apostle James, one of the 12, has been killed by the Jewish authorities. Herod actually led the way and had James killed. 
All right, and now Peter is in prison and the church is gathered having a prayer meeting. They're having 21 days of prayer, but they're focusing it on Peter. So we pick up the story where Peter, God has miraculously answered their prayers. Uh, God has opened his prison door and Peter is, is out, all right? You could say he's, he escaped by God just miraculously opening his door. He escaped and he comes right to the home. And once again, instead of going home, Ladies, you think you might almost be crabby. Your husband is supposed to die tomorrow. You're obviously stressed. He gets released, and instead of going home, he goes to where the church is gathered. No, maybe his wife was there. But again, it just once again shows you that these people were refrigerator friends on steroids. You hear us use the phrase a lot, refrigerator friends. That's a refrigerator friend refers to somebody that if you came home today and found them digging in your fridge, you would be glad that they were there. You'd be sad they weren't going to find very much, but you'd be glad they were there. You need friends like that. And if you don't, just stick around. Just stick around. Get into life groups, men's and women's groups, which are starting in a week. Get in there and just slow butcher. That can't be built just in a moment. It takes time. But they obviously were that connected. Peter gets released from prison, and he's going to that house. So we pick up the story. Peter's gotten released from prison, and he shows up. He went to the home of Mary the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. They had their 21 days of prayer. He knocked at the door in the gate, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter is standing at the door. And how do they respond? Well, we, of course, we don't even need to read the next verse. We know how they responded. They said, whoa, <laughs> Of course he's at the door. I'm Miracle Mike. And everything I pray for, God is my genie. I pull his chain, bang! He responds. Of course he's at the door. That's what we're praying for, is it not? Obviously, he's at the door. Is that, what, is that, what they, is that how they respond? Is that what they said? Let's see how they respond. You're out of your mind. Once again, if I'm writing the Bible, I don't put that in there. I don't put that in there because that is not a Facebook photo. That's behind the scenes. That's taking a photo when you just wake up and you're a mess. There's nothing overly glamorizing about that. They didn't have perfect faith. But again, let's put them back into perspective. What had they watched for 15 years? They had watched God do things they didn't expect. And they'd been praying all this time. And God blessed them. Make, make no mistake. I mean, this church was exploding. Tens of thousands of people were part of the church. I mean, a lot of blessings, a lot of good things, miracles. I mean, just, just financial blessings, spiritual blessings, physical blessings, a lot of good things. But all along the way, a lot of bad things. And they'd watched God take those bad things and flip them around and by, by the time 15 years went by, they're pretty convinced that they don't know what's going to happen. But they know God is leading. They don't, they're not, they don't think life is random. They don't, they're not worried about the devil. They're, they're worried about somebody bigger than him, God. They're not worried, but they know God is doing something. So here's the truth. Yes, they're praying for Peter. And I'm sure they're praying for him to be released. But they didn't have this super hyper faith where they thought they knew how everything was going to turn out and they felt like they were dictating to God. They didn't 
think that way. And if we'll be honest, this actually is somewhat comforting to us because quite honestly, no matter how big of a front you try to put on, if you'll just be honest in your own heart, in your own prayer life, that's kind of how you pray. I mean, really, in all honesty, do we really feel like God is our genie? Do we really feel like, man, I just, and I've heard people say it. I've had people tell it to me. Again, I've heard some stories. I remember one guy just telling me, oh man, I get, he said, I always get everything I've ever prayed for. I'll never forget it. I mean, I knew his life and it was a mess. (laughs) And I'm like, really? Well, I just said, well, here's my prayer list. (laughs) Please take over, man. It's just not true. Again, he was, he was Ananias. I mean, just trying to project something that just wasn't real. All right. You're out of your mind, they said, when she insisted. So now she's arguing with them. She's like, yes, he is. He is out there. No, he's not. Peter's at the door. Have you ever been at somebody's door? You can, 99% of the time, you can hear what's going on behind the door. Can you not? You hear them. So Peter's out there knocking. He's like, hello. Yeah. So they're arguing. When she insisted, they decided... So this took some time. They decided it must be his angel. Now, how many times had an angel knocked on their door? (laughs) The exact same amount of times he's knocked on your door. An angel's knocked, none. But again, it just shows you where they were at. This was so shocking to them that it was easier for them to believe that was an angel than Peter because they knew he was in prison and they knew that he had like seven guards around him and they knew that that seemed impossible to them. Meanwhile, I mean, what a comedy scene. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. He's like, I mean, the answer to your prayer is knocking at your door and you don't believe it. Does that not sound like us? Peter continued knocking. When they finally opened the door, they saw him and they were what? Amazed. Back to where you start in Acts chapter two, that these people live with a certain sense of awe. And I think if you have real faith and not fake faith, by the way, at the bottom of your notes, you're either going to end up falling, if you're not careful, and walk down the middle, you'll end up in one of two ditches. You're going to end up in unbelief. Well, you literally don't even believe these things. You're like, ah, that didn't happen. None of that stuff ever happened. Or you're going to end up with, where I've met people, with an artificial belief. They're projecting something that is, they don't even believe. They'll read those same Bible stories, and then they'll tell you, and I have all that same power. I could pull it all off today. Yeah, right. Next. You need to walk down the middle of with just honest belief. If you'll do that, you're going to end up with durability. This is a marathon we're running, not a sprint. Honest belief produces durability. It ends up producing connectability. You're the kind of person, when you're that real, you're somebody that somebody just wants to talk to. You don't, you're, you're never, obviously Peter was just the kind of person that people felt comfortable talking to. Jesus was obviously, sinners felt comfortable talking to him. I would suggest that Jesus was rather super spiritual, but somehow to people, he didn't seem so out there. And again, maybe you've never met those people, but I have. They're so spiritual, they're just a little bit beyond you. That wasn't these people. I'm gonna wrap this up just by praying for you. Would you just bow your head and close your eyes just real quick? I wanna pray for you. And here's what I wanna pray. Just just before I start praying, I just wanna pray this. I want to pray what they prayed for. They prayed for boldness because they recognized that God was at work in the earth. Even though the majority of the world was, was not following him, he was still at work. That's what they recognized. And I wonder if there's anybody here today as you've just heard God's word, just your own heart 
is saying to you, you know that you do believe, you know he's real, but you need to pray for boldness because you've kind of been in a corner. Your, your faith, your belief is just something hidden away in, in the corner. And there's a world out there who doesn't recognize the hand of God. They, they don't recognize it. And we need to pray for what they prayed for. And if that's you, you're saying, you know what? I do. I, I do have a personal faith in God, but I really have been nothing but private with it. And even when God opens doors, even when God sends me people, I, I don't talk. I'm not bold like they were, and I want to be. If that's you, nobody's looking around, but just really quick, if that's you and you say, I want, I, I want to be, I want to be involved. I want to be on his side and I want to be involved. I want to have that boldness. If that's you, just lift your hand up right there where you're sitting. Say, that's me. I want to pray for you. Just hold your hand up for just a minute. Father, I just pray in Jesus' name for every hand that is lifted. You, hear, you see their heart. God, we just want to be involved. You are working. You are building your kingdom. God, we want to be on your team. We, we want to be used. We want our life to be used. So we say yes to your will. Yes, use our life. And God, we want to be bold. We want to be able to share the truth. We just want to be able to share what you've done. A simple witness. You have touched us. You have revealed yourself to us in ways that we cannot deny. And we simply want to be able to share that. So give us your boldness. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody says...